welcome to another episode of Monsters and Murder. I'm Sam. And I'm Shane. And it's Saturday evening. Yes, it is for us at least at this time of recording. Yeah, don't know where you're, when you're listening to this. Um, it's daylight, mm-hmm. which I feel like we haven't recorded on a Saturday night when it's daylight in a while. I know. It's And it's not warm. No, we had a really big thunderstorm this morning. Like, it oh. woke me up. Yeah, it was about 6 o'clock, I thought. I was like, I know Shane didn't go out to get the trash can. (laughs) And that's, I literally thought somebody was out there pulling our trash can up the driveway. (laughs) That was not the case. And then it scared the shit out of the cats. They ran and hid. Mm -hmm. So, anyway, did you have a good day? I did. I spent the day with my sister and baby nephew, and that was super, super fun. Nice. I went and got coffee and did a little shopping, which I didn't really find anything, but mm-hmm. it's still nice. Yes, I did shopping for food and paid too much, but that's okay. That's normal now. You know what I realized? Like, I know the cost of food is going back down. Like, I bought eggs and it wasn't like $15. <laughs> um, but toilet paper and paper towels, like, the price of that has not gone down. Like, I feel like it's no, gone up. They have. I feel like it's more expensive than it was in the pandemic. I do too, which is weird. I bought paper towels today, BTW, mm-hmm. um, and I was like, "Why are paper towels so damn expensive?" Yes, like on sale now, they're like ten dollars, and that used to be the normal price. Yes, and if you heard that, that was Oliver taking a run by the the speaker. Oh my gosh! Okay, so I know that you don't know this case. Uh huh. Um, and I had heard about it a while ago, but I had completely forgotten about it until I was doing research on another case. And then stumbled upon this one, and I was like, okay, like, again, when they speak to me, I have to cover it. <laughs> yes. So. All right, and if you hear that in the background, the cats are playing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so tonight I'm going to tell you about the murder of Annette Cooper and Todd Schultz. Okay, you're right. I have not heard of this. Okay. So, Margaret Annette Cooper, who went by Annette, mm-hmm. was born on June 11th, 1964, to her parents, Ben and Sarah in Zinnia, Ohio. And I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that the correct way. It's spelled with an X, so I'm assuming it's Zinnia. Yeah. Hopefully it's correct. Um, she was known by Annette as her, uh, to her family and friends, and she was the oldest of two children. She had a younger sister. When Annette was young, her parents divorced, both remarried. Ben stayed in Zinnia with his new wife, Carrie, and Sarah renamed a man by the name of Dale Johnston. Annette really didn't see her father much after they divorced, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure of the dynamic and why he wasn't in the picture. From a newspaper report I read, it doesn't really sound like it was something that he wanted to happen. Like, he didn't want the girls to stay away from him, but I don't really know everything that happened there. Yeah. So, Dell, Sarah, Annette, and her younger sister ended up relocating to Logan, Ohio when she was in seventh grade. Um, Annette, from the reports that I've read, she seemed to be friendly and helpful. She often tutored kids that were struggling to keep up in school. Mm-hmm. She participated in beauty pageants. She was like your stereotypical 1980s American girl, blonde hair, blue eyes. <laughs> um, she enjoyed riding courses, and she often showed them a lot at the county fair, and she won a lot of ribbons. Nice. Uh, she was extremely intelligent. She maintained above-average grades. She ended up taking college courses when she was still in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, if she got a 98 instead of a 100 on a paper, it would really upset her. 
One newspaper article I read stated that Annette was an overachieving perfectionist. And I can say with complete confidence, same girl. Yes, I was getting ready to say same also. <laughs> um, there was a paper that I turned in a few weeks ago. And I was, my grade was really good. Mm -hmm. I made an A, but it was not, I didn't get all the points. Uh-huh. And I wanted all the points. And yes. I was very upset. And then I had to be like, wait, wait. You're, you're fine. Mm -hmm. You don't have to get all the points every single time. <laughs> I feel the same way. Yeah. Um, some of Annette's teachers referred to her as shy and quiet, but the people that knew her best knew that she was like, she was ambitious. She was funny. Mm -hmm. She really enjoyed life and she wanted to enjoy it to the fullest extent. So Todd Leroy Cooper, or Todd Leroy Schultz, sorry. <laughs> I was, was like, that's a funny name. Yeah, Todd Leroy Schultz was born on June 26th, 1963. To his parents, Donald and Sandra Schultz. Mm -hmm. He was the second born in a family of four children. He had an older brother and then a younger brother and a younger sister. Mm -hmm. The Schultz family was very well known and very well liked in the city of Logan, Ohio. Todd was responsible. He was close to his family. He was also very funny. He was artistic and he was also very smart. He loved music and reading. According to his friends, he was just a goofball who had kind of a warped sense of humor. Uh-huh. Like, one of his friends said that Todd's idea of, like, bonding, like, if, if it was in the middle of the night, they couldn't sleep, they were hanging out, he would go out and sit under the street lights, like, the red lights, and just sit there in the middle of the street and have, like, a full-blown conversation at, like, midnight if there was nothing else going on. I mean, I would go to, like, a park, maybe, but not in the middle of the street. Well, this is the 1980s, and... In the middle of, like, Ohio, there wasn't a lot going on. Well, I guess that's true, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, Todd and Annette met um, when they were both attending Tri-County Joint Vocational School. Mm -hmm. And when they met, they started out as a friendship that quickly grew into a relationship. Todd and Annette appeared to be, like, very much in love. They were very young, uh -huh. still in their teens when they met. But a few months after she graduated... Annette actually moved in with Todd at his mother's house. So, Todd shared a room with one of his brothers, and Annette shared a room with one of his sisters. Mm -hmm. Todd was a year older than her, so he graduated the year prior. He was still living at home. So, in the fall of 1982, Annette had been living at the Schultz residence for approximately two months. She was attending Hawking, uh, Hawking Technical College, studying computer science, and she was planning on continuing her education at Ohio State University. And, like, it's really cool that in 1982, in a field that was, like, dominated by men, mm -hmm. Annette was like, I like this, and I can do this, and she was really good at writing computer programming. Nice. And she was going to go on to pursue her degree in computer science at Ohio State. Mm -hmm. So, Todd had previously been employed at a local print shop, but due to a hernia injury, he'd been laid off. So, he's currently looking for a new job, but he was also continuing to volunteer at the local fire department where his dad worked. Now, it's unclear if Todd and Annette were, like, formally engaged uh -huh. or if they had just talked about plans to become engaged. I saw mixed reports, and I watched um, Buried in the Backyard, an episode of that, which was on Oxygen. I watched it on Hulu. Um, so, I'm not sure if they were actually, if, they, if he'd actually proposed, but they were planning on a future together. Okay. 
Todd, who had an affinity for red tennis shoes and a really good sense of humor, used to joke with Annette that when they did get married, he would be wearing his tux, but he'd also be wearing red tennis shoes. <laughs> I know. I've seen lots of grooms do something very similar. Yeah. So, but you know, they were working on trying to save money mm-hmm. to get their own place so they could move out of Todd's mom's house. They were really excited about the future. So, on October 4th, 1982, Annette had been in a really good mood that day uh-huh. because she'd received an A on one of her assignments. Yes. And she felt confident that she was not going to have any trouble getting into Ohio State when she actually applied. Mm-hmm. So, she got back home early that day because one of her classes had gotten canceled due to an issues with the computer. Mm-hmm. And, like... We can't function without technology today in 2023, so I imagine that in 1982, if you were studying computer science and the computer broke down, you probably were just kind of like, we have to wait till somebody comes and fixes it. (laughs) (laughs) We had a power outage not too long ago, and our classes were canceled for like those three or four hours, so it's still the same. (laughs) Oh, that's nice. I always did really enjoy that. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, if there's no power, can't do anything, sorry. Exactly. And now if I'm at home and we don't have power, I'm like, what the... I need this back right now. I cannot live my life without power. Yes, we have talked about this. You and I would not do well in the 1800s. Oh, no, no. Absolutely not. So, on that day, Annette had a quick and easy lunch. She made a sandwich at, like, 3. And then she went upstairs to Todd's room where he was just laying Mm -hmm. around. So, I've read and heard two different reports on exactly what happened... When Annette and Todd left his mom's house that day, one report said that his mom was downstairs um, when Annette came running downstairs and she just bolted out the door. Oh. So Sandy went upstairs to ask Todd, like, hey, what happened? Annette just ran out of here. Um, But another report said that Todd and Annette came downstairs together and told Sandy they were going to go out for a while so they could talk. Mm -hmm. Now, Annette and Todd were 18 and 19 at the time. And as common with most young couples, like, arguments were not a rare occurrence. Like, they happened. Yeah. They happened. Because they were so young. Mm -hmm. But regardless of how it transpired, Todd followed Annette out the door. And then Sandy watched from the window, saw Todd catch up with Annette, and saw them talking. Mm -hmm. And then before they walked away, Todd made eye contact with his mom And waved at her, like, saying, like, you know, don't worry, everything's fine, it's Mm -hmm. fine. So Sandy watched as Todd and Annette made their way out of the yard um, down toward the Hawking River, which is a common spot for teens and local residents to hang out. And it had been, like, it had been a pretty typical day until Mm -hmm. that point. So that evening, Todd was supposed to pick up his younger brother by six to take him to soccer practice. And as it got closer to six and Todd never returned, like, Sandy's, you know, she's getting irritated. Like, what are you doing? Because she was actually studying for, she had, like, a tax class uh-huh. that she had to go to, which is why Todd was supposed to pick up his younger brother. So, when six, when it got close to six and Todd never came, Sandy's like, fine, I'll just take him. So, she took his younger brother to soccer practice. Um, and at this point, like... Todd's parents had not been divorced for very long. Mm -hmm. And so, to have some time away from Todd's siblings and his mom, Todd's dad had been letting Todd and Annette use his apartment when he wasn't there. So, Sandy assumed that Todd and Annette had gone to his dad's apartment because his dad was working, and they had lost track of Tom. Mm -hmm. 
So that evening, she went to her tax preparation class. And when she got out at nine and got home, there was no sign of Todd and Annette. She was, like, pretty mad. Mm-hmm. So she drove over to Donald's apartment, fully expecting to find Todd and Annette. But they were not there. Uh-oh. So she drove back home, and she called over to Annette's mother's house. Um, but Sarah, Annette's mom, and Dale, her stepfather, said, we haven't seen either Todd or Annette all evening. We don't know where they are. Mm-hmm. So when she woke up the next day, and there was still no sign of Todd or Annette, she reached out to anybody she could think of. But nobody knew where Todd and Annette were. So, she contacted Donald, Todd's dad, and they reached out to authorities to file a missing persons report. Mm -hmm. Because it wasn't like them to not reach out. Yeah. So, when officers arrived to get information about, like, the last time Sandy had seen Todd and Annette, they initially wondered, like, did Todd and Annette just, like, run off in a lope? Or just, Mm -hmm. like run off and need some time away like there was an argument yesterday maybe they just wanted to get away from stuff yeah and like after all like they both were over 18 Mm -hmm. and as the cops always say they can run off they can disappear without telling anybody if they want to do Mm -hmm. that but sandy was adamant that todd would not do that to her he wouldn't want her to worry He just wouldn't leave without telling her. And besides, he was supposed to have picked his brother up. Yeah. So, he kind of put his mom out when she had to do it. And that's not, that was not very much, that like, that was not Todd. Mm -hmm. Todd was a very thoughtful person. So, and like, aside from, like, Todd just, that not being in his character, like, they left on foot. They didn't take any money. They didn't take any clothes. They left all their belongings at home. Like, if they were going to go off, they would probably take something. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, if they were going to go off, they wouldn't do it on foot because Todd had access to one of the two vehicles that was sitting in Sandy's driveway. So, it would make more sense if they had left in a car. Mm-hmm. So, police and, like, family and friends started searching for Todd and Annette. Sandy was convinced that something terrible had happened to them. She said she just knew, like, Todd was dead. So when word spread that Todd and Annette had been missing, um, officers started getting like several calls from community members that had seen Todd and Annette walking on the afternoon of October 4th. Mm -hmm. So one neighbor that lived about two blocks away from Todd's house had seen Todd and Annette having what appeared to be a very emotional conversation on the side of the road. They watched, I guess, from their window... Um, as neighbors do sometimes. Yes. I don't. We can't see our neighbors from our house. So I don't know. No, but being in the South, it's very much something neighbors do. <laughs> I feel like everywhere people do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the conversation lasted roughly like 10 minutes before Todd and Annette began walking back down the road, holding hands, heading towards the industrial district. Uh-huh. Now, in the industrial district, I'm assuming there's like buildings, but there's also a cornfield and the river mm-hmm. runs down by the corn like around there so the cornfield basically leads down to the river okay okay so that does that make sense that does okay. yes so shortly thereafter when that neighbor saw them walking towards the industrial district mm-hmm. another 
woman named Melody Morehouse saw Todd and Annette near a stop sign, also walking towards the industrial district. Uh-huh. And she knew both Todd and Annette. So she honked her horn and Annette waved at her. Melody was sure that the time was around 4.30 because her favorite soap opera, General Hospital, had just <laughs> gone off. And so she was running out of the house to pick up a pack of cigarettes. As a soap opera watcher, that lines up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so... Now they're walking along the path towards the industrial district. And, like, doing that, Todd and Annette would have walked over a bridge. Mm-hmm. And then, if they continued, they would have walked directly toward, like, into the cornfield. And the cornfield was, like, a popular place for teens or just residents of the town mm-hmm. to hang out. And they would drink, smoke, whatever. You know, because this cornfield was, like, 50 to 60 acres. It was huge. It was yeah. not just, like... A little field. Mm-hmm. It was a massive plot of land. So another report had mentioned that Todd and Annette had stopped by a stopped by a garage sale, and had given the homeowner five dollars to hold a table that they were going to pick up later mm-hmm. because that they were going to have that as their first piece of furniture that they bought together in Aww. their new place. I love garage sales. <laughs> I do too. I haven't been to one in a very long time though. Mm-hmm. So, in addition to the reports of people just seeing them walking towards the industrial district, police also got three different reports from individuals that they didn't that like did not know each other, stating that they'd heard gunshots coming from the area around the cornfield at like five forty five that evening. Which is never a good sign. No. But at least they actually called the cops. Mm-hmm. So, one report came from a security guard that worked at a steel company in the industrial district. He told investigators that he'd heard three shots initially with, like, a brief pause before four or five more shots were fired. Mm -hmm. And he was sure of the time because he was required to close and lock the warehouse at 545, and that's when he heard the gunshots. So then two women that had stopped at McDonald's had like there was just a few far few far few yards <laughs> away from the entrance into the cornfield, they reported that they'd also heard multiple gunshots around that time. Oh no. Who is shooting in the cornfield? Well, speaking of McDonald's, I want some freaking frogs. <laughs> <laughs> so the final report came from a woman that lived in a house across the street. From, like, an entrance into the cornfield. Okay. So, this woman was looking out her window when she spotted three people on the tracks beside the field. There were two men and a young woman. The young woman had blonde hair, just Mm -hmm. like Annette. And then one of the younger men was very thin and tall, which was the description of Todd. The third man was just a little bit older. And he stood out to her... Because he seemed to be having, like, a very animated conversation with the younger man and woman. And they appeared to, like, be in some kind of argument or some kind of Mm -hmm. disagreement. She couldn't really tell. So, she watched as the older man walked down the tracks into the field. And then the younger man and woman followed him. So, as they disappeared from sight... She turned to back to whatever it was she was doing in the house. Uh And then, a short time later, she heard a few gunshots... And then she heard a woman scream, my God, you shot him. And then she heard a few more shots before it was silent. Goodness. She said she looked out the window and she saw the older man, like, come out of the field. She said she didn't really think anything of it because she'd lived in that house, like, essentially her whole life. Mm -hmm. 
And because people did all kinds of shit in the cornfield, it was not unusual to hear gunshots being fired there. Like, some people used the field for target practice, uh-huh. and it would get really loud. But she heard someone else say, you shot him. Yes, that is true, too. Which is weird. Yes. That is not something you would hear. Hopefully, you would not hear if somebody no. was target practice. So, on October 14th, so 10 days after Todd and Annette had um, disappeared, a group of locals and police were performing a search for Todd and Annette. And I'm going to give a trigger warning, just general for the episode. There's going to be brief mentions of, what's well, it's brutality. There's going to be a lot of brutality. Mm-hmm. Um, brief mentions of sexual assault, child sexual assault. But it will mm-hmm. be very brief. Okay. So, um, locals and police that were looking for Todd and Annette are searching this cornfield, the river bottom, like, basically all around that area. Mm-hmm. So, officers had seen that there were a lot of trees and piles of debris down by the river. And so, they're walking along that, searching around there. And around a bend in the river, the sheriff noticed an object floating in the water. Now, initially, he thought it was like a pig carcass due to the size and the color. And the object got stuck on a sandbar. So, when he went over to investigate it, he discovered that he... It was not a pig carcass. No. It was a nude torso. No head, no arms, no legs. The torso appeared to be male. Oh. So the sheriff called for assistance, and they keep searching. And then just downstream from where the first torso had been found, officers found the torso of a nude female lodged on another sandbar. Oh, my God. Yeah. Word quickly spread that something had been found down by the river, and Dell and Sarah, Annette's mom and stepdad, were actually on their way back into town. And they stopped by when they saw, like, everything happening. Mm-hmm. Police obviously could not let them in. No. Um, and Dell and Sarah, like, when they heard, like, you know, they found something, they were like, we can help identify. Mm-hmm. And authorities had to tell them, like, we've only found torsos, so you can't really yeah. do any kind of no. identification. So they got sent home, and they had to wait for word. Now, while police could not say with 100% certainty that the torsos belonged to Todd and Annette, they believed that they were the young couple. Oh, my. That's Mm -hmm. so awful. Yeah. Yeah. Investigators continued searching the area, and on October 16th, two days after the torsos were found, an officer searching another area of the cornfield noticed some of the stalks appeared to be, like, knocked over or Mm -hmm. laid down, which... As we learned in the Sierra jogging case, that's not normal. No. So, as he goes to investigate, he noticed even more depressions in the rows of corn. Mm -hmm. So, he followed that path, and it came to kind of just a little clearing, and he found what appeared to be seven shallow graves. Seven? Mm Mm-hmm. And when officers began digging, they found the heads and limbs of Annette Cooper and Todd Schultz. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. I was hoping since there were seven that there would be, like, I hate to say this, but other people. Oh, yeah. No. They, they um, it was really, really upsetting. One of the officers said that the only thing that he'd seen worse than what happened to Todd and Annette was when he did his tour in Vietnam. Oh, my God. 
The coroner confirmed through medical and dental records that the remains were those of Todd Schultz and Annette Cooper. It was determined that the cause of death was a gunshot wound. Both Todd and Annette had been shot more than once with what police believed was a 22 caliber gun. And then after they'd been shot, their bodies had been dismembered. Todd appeared to have what looked like a cross carved in his chest, mm-hmm. and his genitals had been removed. Mm. Annette, aside from just like the dismemberment, her body did not appear to have been mutilated, uh-huh. although some of her fingertips had been cut off. Ooh. At the scene, officers found a blood a blood stained feed bag, a sock containing human flesh and hair, and a boot print in the dirt by the riverbank leading up to the cornfield where the remains had been buried. So officers took an impression of that. This is it, it very, and I don't say this to make light of any way, but it's very Chainsaw Massacre. It's horrifying. Yeah. that's horrifying. I thought only stuff like that, I mean, I know it happens in real life, but to this extent, I would think just movies. Oh, no. It, it like, again, I think about all the cases that I cover, but there are some that, like, it's the stuff of nightmares. Mm-hmm. The stuff of nightmares. Yeah. Whew. And this one took a turn so fast. Yeah. Todd's family was absolutely crushed when mm-hmm. they were notified by investigators that the torsos that had been found belonged to Todd and Annette. So authorities asked Sandy and Donald if there was anyone they could think of that may want to hurt Todd and Annette. And Sandy told police, you should go speak with Dale Johnston, Annette's stepfather. Oh. Because, again, trigger warning here for sexual assault or abuse Um, The reason that Annette had been living with Sandy and Todd is because Annette had accused Dale of um, beginning to molest her since she was 10. So one day Todd had gone to his dad and Todd was crying and he said, I have to help Annette Mm -hmm. because she had confessed to him what Dale had been doing to her. When authorities went to speak with Dale and Sarah, Dale, Sarah, and Annette's younger sister all adamantly denied that Dale had sexually been had been sexually abusing Annette, mm-hmm. um, and that's when they told them like we haven't seen Todd or Annette either. Dale and Sarah stated that they'd had a good relationship with Annette, and that Annette had actually been talking about moving back in with them in the days leading up to her disappearance. Okay, I just want to point out here like Todd was not the only person that Annette had told that Dale had raped her. Mm-hmm. She'd confessed to several of her other friends and a teacher. Oh, wow. And later on, when authorities began to question other locals, one of Sandy's co-workers said she overheard a conversation between Dale and Sandy when Dale had come in to pick her up after work, mm-hmm. and he told her about the allegations that, like, Sandy was saying that Annette had said about him. And Sarah told Dale... I don't care if you raped her every day of the week. I just want her to come back home. Now, I'm going to point out here, like, this was the only person that heard this statement. Uh-huh. So, I'm not saying that it 100% was said. Yeah. It's just something that was noted in the police mm-hmm. report. So, I know you're shaking your head. It's, I know. I shake my head. I shake my head a lot, listeners. You guys can't see it, but that's what... It's absolutely terrifying and, and disgusting. Yes. So, the discoveries of the bodies left 
Logantown residents, like, terrified and in a state of shock, obviously. Mm-hmm. Crime watch groups formed, and everybody was on high alert. People were locking their doors. Like, this was small-town America, and, like, people always say, like, it doesn't happen here. In the 80s, like, I don't think, especially in that area, people weren't locking their no. doors. People weren't afraid of their neighbors. They knew everybody. Mm-hmm. So, parents, like, they were walking their kids to school. They were, nobody was, like, going anywhere alone. And I don't blame them one bit. Rumors began to fly pretty quickly about the possibility of a satanic cult being in the area that was using the fields as a grounds for their meetings and rituals. Because some neighbors that live near the cornfield had reported, we've heard a lot of, like, strange stuff happening over Mm -hmm. there. And then with the bodies being dismembered and the mutilation of Todd... It was, that was something that was, people were talking about. Yes, it's something people associate with satanic cults. But the murder was absolutely brutal. Yes. So, aside from that, there had actually been another murder that happened in a neighboring county. Mm -hmm. Um, In Vinton County, the decapitated body of an unidentified man had been found just a few weeks prior to Todd and Annette's murder. Holy crap, another decapitated body? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, with the town on edge, um, and it being so close to Halloween, Halloween activities actually took place on Saturday afternoon mm-hmm. in the daylight hours, rather than kids trick-or-treating on Sunday, which was actually when Halloween occurred. I'm surprised Halloween was just not canceled, period. Yeah. So, investigators that were working Annette and Todd's case extensively searched the field and surrounding areas for any sign of occult activity, but they didn't find any. Mm-hmm. Um, there weren't any signs of sacrifices taking place in the field, and they didn't see any sites that could be used as an altar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, I don't have an extensive wealth of knowledge about satanic cults, but I'm pretty sure they're not mutilating people in the middle of a cornfield in Ohio. Like, I don't think that's happening. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm not a... I don't know. But I don't think that's actually what is happening. I mean, anytime something like this happens, even if it was with animals, like if it had been animals that they found, I'm sure this would have came up. It always does. It It always does, yeah. And it was the early 80s. It was, like, heading towards the period of satanic panic. Mm -hmm. So it was not... an uncommon thing for people to go there. So, um, in speaking with the investigators working the murder in Benton County, investigators working the case of Todd and Annette determined that the two cases, they were not connected. Mm -hmm. Um, In newspaper articles after after the discovery of Todd and Annette, authorities stated that they believed that whoever killed Todd and Annette had experience in dismemberment, like possibly a surgeon or a butcher, because the cuts were so clean. Oh. And then the murder victim in Vinton County was identified soon after as 38-year-old Sheldon D. Leeson. Mm-hmm. Patrick Scanlon was arrested and indicted for his murder. It seems to have been drug-related. Apparently... Scanlon was able to escape before he was actually incarcerated Uh and was on the run for 19 years. Wow. He was arrested on June 29th, 2003, near Shelby, North Carolina, where he had been living. Oh. Um, Yes. (laughs) And he was able to take a plea deal 
which dropped the murder charge to involuntary manslaughter, and he was only sentenced to three years in prison. Just three? That's ridiculous. For decapitating somebody. Yeah. I, ugh. I just... You know, part of me wants to be like, well, too bad someone didn't throw some marijuana on him, because then he would have got life. <laughs> uh, seriously? Mm-hmm. So, officers wanted to speak to Dale Johnston again. Um, you know, there's these allegations of sexual assault, and now we have the bodies, and Todd's family was convinced Dale did something to Todd mm-hmm. and Annette. So, Dale and Sarah had actually gone to Sandy's house prior to Todd and Annette's bodies being found, and they tried to take Annette's things. And Todd's family took this as a sign like Dale knew the couple wouldn't be coming back. Uh-huh. However, Annette's mom, Sarah, later stated that she wanted Annette's things with her because Annette was her child and she was missing, and she wanted to be as close to Annette as possible. And Annette had moved her things out when she moved in with Todd. Mm-hmm. Another thing that Todd's family thought was weird is that Dale and Sarah didn't show up to the memorial service that was held for Todd and Annette. And essentially everybody in Logan came to that memorial, but, but Annette's not parents her mother. did not. Yeah. Not her mother, and I guess the only, her only thing she knew was a father. Yeah. Well, she, I mean, she was not a baby baby when her parents got divorced. She knew her dad, mm-hmm. it just he was not in the picture. Yeah. So, and Dale never, um, which I'll point out here, Dale never actually adopted Annette and her younger sister, Mm -hmm. but in some newspaper reports, they refer to Annette as Annette Johnston, and that was not her last name. Oh, no, no, no. So, Dale agreed to an interview with authorities on October 21st, 1982, and he actually drove himself to the police department. Mm -hmm. Did he tell them why he didn't attend the the memorial service? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure why that happened, like why they didn't go. Um, but Dale also consented to having his home searched. So during Dale's interview, again, trigger warning here, he was pretty candid about the Johnston household being clothing optional. Ooh. Mm-hmm. He stated that when he got home from work, he liked to strip down and read the newspaper. Ew. Like get completely naked and read the newspaper. Why? I don't know. Like, do you really want that, like, black dust <laughs> that gets on your fingertips? The ink. Like, yeah, the ink on on your naughty bits. Do you really, <laughs> like, that? no, that's gross. Mm-hmm. It was odd, but Dale maintained there was nothing nefarious happening between him and Annette. Um, in fact, Dale and Sarah told authorities that Annette's promiscuity had actually been a source of contention in the house before she left. Oh. Um, but yet, Dale and Sarah also admitted that they were pretty, like, sexually uninhibited in the house. Like, they kind of had an open-door policy. So, like, sometimes Dale and Sarah would be having sex in their bedroom with the door open, Ugh. one of the girls would walk in, and instead of, like, you know, stopping, they just kept going. Ew. No. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was gross. Just, it was gross. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. It, it's being, uh, seeing your mother and stuff, just no. No. Like, we all know while we're here, <laughs> yes. we don't need to see it happening. No. Like, so, I'm just going to point out here that Annette was 18, mm-hmm. and Annette... If she was 
I'm using this in air quotes, promiscuous, she was allowed to have sex with whoever she wanted to. Yes. As long as it was consensual. Exactly. I mean, like, it's funny that her parents talk about her promiscuity and yeah. they're, they were the way they are, or I guess are, I don't know what yeah. to use. I read the book Guilty by Popular Demand, mm-hmm. and I was not a fan of the way that the author spoke about Annette and Todd. It seemed very um, victim blamey to me, mm. and I don't like that. Mm, no. So... After the revelation about the naked newspaper reading, authorities proceeded towards the Johnston residence to conduct a search of Mm -hmm. Dale and Sarah's home. And what authorities found made them even more suspicious. Mm -hmm. So, authorities found nude photos of Annette (gasps) from when she was like 12 or 13. Oh, no. And like in one of them, she's wearing what appears to be a gun cartridge holder and a gun, and, like, you can clearly, I mean, you can't see the photos because they're, you know, yeah, obvious, for obvious reasons, like, you can't see them. Mm-hmm. Um, but she clearly appears to be posing. Mm-hmm. And so authorities were like, what the hell is this? Dale had a perfectly reasonable explanation. Do you want to guess what his explanation is? Oh, my God. I can't even with him. It's disgusting. He said that when the family was relocating from Xenia to Logan, they'd actually been living in tents on the property. Mm-hmm. Because the property, they were fixing up the house, there was a barn on, on the property. So one night, Dale's in his tent. And he hears some commotion out by the barn. So he pops out of his tent and he sees a couple teenage boys trying to break into the barn. He said that's when he noticed Annette coming up, like, beside him. She was holding his gun, and she was naked because apparently, according to Dale, their household was clothing optional. Mm -hmm. He said that Annette told Dale to shoot the boys, and the boys must have gotten scared and ran off. Dale said he thought it was pretty funny, like, seeing Annette walk up there with his gun being butt naked, so, the next day, he had her pose, and he took pictures of it. Ooh. Yeah. No. It's gross. That's just... No, no, no. D- yeah. I mean, it, I don't really believe that happened, but... No. Like, I just... I understand, like, when you're a baby, and you're like, you know, plenty of parents take pictures of their babies in the bathtub. Yes. When they're a tiny little baby. hmm But they, like, cover up, you know, like, you're not going to be seeing, you know... They're peepees. Like, yeah, they're private they, parts. Yeah, they cover it up. Mm-hmm. And, like, this is... And, and at a certain point, like, when you're, like, a year old, that's not cute anymore. It's yeah. weird and gross and disgusting. Exactly. And by 12-year-old, you probably want your privacy. Well, and she's probably started developing. Like, that's... It, it's disgusting. Yeah. Like, it, regardless of how old she was, she wasn't a baby, and it was posed, and it was gross. Yeah. So, in addition to the photos, authorities also found a rifle and a shotgun. In a subsequent search of the property, authorities confiscated a piece of carpet that was near the heater in the living room that appeared to have blood on it. Mm-hmm. Dale was like, yeah, that's blood, but it's because I skinned a deer in the living room. Who does that? No one. I, I wanted to know that. I'm sure authorities wanted to know yes. that. Like, nobody believed him. Like, no way this man skinned a damn deer right in the middle of the living room. Exactly. Just, oh, my God. He's so stupid. Well, my friends, (laughs) we were wrong. 
because authorities sent a sample of the carpet off, as well as the gun and the the other evidence they found. Dale wasn't lying. No. I, I don't know if he actually skinned a deer in the living room, but the blood that was on that carpet was not Todd and Annette's. It was animal blood. Wow. And so, husband of the year, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there was no physical evidence linking the weapons that they found um, to those that were used in the mm-hmm. murder of Todd and Annette. So they didn't have any evidence. However, authorities were still convinced Dale murdered Todd and Annette. Mm-hmm. So they keep searching. They keep, you know, trying to find evidence to get him. Mm-hmm. They actually collected his boots to be tested against the boot print that was found at the scene. Uh-huh. An analyst in North Carolina reviewed the image of the print against Dale's boot and stated that they believed it was very similar to Dale's and could not be ruled out as the shoe that made the print. Mm-hmm. So in September 1983, just about a year after Todd and Annette were murdered, a grand jury indicted Dale Johnston on murder charges and he was arrested. When authorities went to arrest Dale, he was taken into custody without incident. Rather than be tried before a jury of his peers, Dale opted for a trial before a panel of three judges. Oh. Yeah. So the prosecution theorized that Dale was in love with Annette and had been very upset when she moved out of the house and Mm -hmm. planned to marry Todd. Which makes sense, kind of. Yeah. They believed that on the day of the murder, there had been some kind of altercation between the three of them, Mm -hmm. and that Dale had murdered both Todd and Annette in a fit of jealous rage. Mm -hmm. However, the prosecution did not have any physical evidence at all linking Dale to the murders. Now, this is like 1982 before DNA, so really the best they could have gotten was like, saying like his bullet matches yeah this or like the blood that we found was human Mm -hmm. they didn't have any of that Mm -hmm. the only thing they had was that boot print that the analyst said could not be ruled out as matching dale's boots as well as a check they'd found during a financial record search that was written by dale to a gas station in logan on october 4th the day that todd and annette disappeared Uh uh-huh because in his original interview, he told them, like, I don't remember going into town that day. So, they presented this as evidence, like, he was he was in town, he's mm-hmm. lying, he, he killed them. Yeah. So, the defense argued that in the days between finding the torsos and the discovery of the rest of Todd and Annette's remains, there had been rain in the area and, and the riverbanks and the cornfield had been, like, searched by authorities and dozens of citizens. So, those boot prints could have been made by anybody Mm. they stressed that um like the lack of physical evidence tying dale to the murders the trial ended up lasting about two weeks but deliberation only took four hours the judges found dale johnston guilty of the murders of todd and annette and he was sentenced to death and after this like todd's family felt like immense relief like they Mm -hmm. were convinced that todd i mean that dale had murdered todd and annette like they literally believe like from the minute that it happened sandy was like dale did something Mm -hmm. in the year between like the discovery of the bodies and then dale's actual arrest the town of logan had actually started to believe dale did it yeah and they began to whisper about him and like it was you know it was uncomfortable Mm -hmm. being in that town seeing him walk around However, this entire time, Dale maintained his innocence 
as well as did his wife, Sarah, and Annette's younger sister. Like, mm-hmm. they did not believe Dale did it. So, Dale immediately filed an appeal. But it took seven years for the appeal to, like, Holy be heard. crap, that's a long time. Yes, very much so. So, in 1988, Dale was finally granted a new trial, but it didn't happen right away. Mm-hmm. When the evidence was reviewed in early May 1990... The appeals court ruled that certain evidence used in the original trial was inadmissible in court. Specifically, the boots that were the key piece of evidence that had been used to convict Dale. Mm-hmm. As well as some testimony from an, I'm using this in quotes, a witness that had been hypnotized by police in hopes of remembering what he'd seen that day of the murder. Wow. Yeah. There wasn't blood on the shoes. And the the analyst that had reviewed the boot prints, say, like, he didn't say these were the exact boots. He mm-hmm. only said, I can't rule them out. Mm-hmm. So, also in the years between Dale's conviction and then his appeal being heard, it had been determined that the field had to have been the scene of the crime because of the amount of blood that was found there. Uh-huh. If Dale had murdered and dismembered Todd and Annette at his home, there would have been a crazy amount of blood there. Yes. Not just a tiny little piece on a piece of carpet. Mm-hmm. But there was none of that. The appeals court ruled, like, he should not have been found guilty. Mm-hmm. And on May 11th, 1990, he was released from prison. Sarah and Dale had actually gotten divorced while he was in prison. Sarah had gotten remarried, but she was there waiting for him when he got out. Uh-huh. Dale had maintained his innocence the entirety of his incarceration and said that his main goal now that he was out was to find the actual murderers. Mm-hmm. The town was, like, in a bit of an outrage. Yes. I mean, like, there had been people that had supported Dale and believed in his innocence. But there were, like, a lot of people that believed that he was guilty. And the thought of this brutal murderer being released was absolutely terrifying. Mm-hmm. Todd's family were heartbroken that he was being released. Like, it was a new kind of rage and hurt. Yeah. Because there was, like, they full-on believed Dale killed them. Mm -hmm. And now he's being let out of prison. So, it's like, they're having to relive this all over again because the person that took Todd away from them is getting out. Mm -hmm. So, for a few years after Dale was released, authorities are still convinced that he's the murderer. They just, they don't have any evidence to prove it. Mm Mm-hmm. So, years later, when a new prosecutor took office, Todd and Annette's case was officially reopened. And this time, they were looking at it a little bit differently. They were going to re-interview everybody. Mm -hmm. They were going to re-examine all the evidence. And they were not going to get tunnel vision as to who they thought believed murdered them. Yes. So, it took until 2007 before they got a break in the case. In 2007, Judy Lynn Scott checked in with her probation officer and told him that she believed her ex-husband, Kenny Lynn Scott, had been involved with the murders. Oh. So authorities were well acquainted with Kenny Lynn Scott. He'd been in and out of jail, and he was involved in a burglary ring Mm -hmm. that had taken place in southeastern Ohio. Investigators working on Todd and Annette's case, they went to talk to Judy. And she said that on October 4th, 1982, there had been a home at a party at the home that she and Kitty had been living in at the time. 
Todd and Annette had stopped by at some point that afternoon, but they'd only stayed like an hour mm-hmm. before they left. Soon after, Kenny and another partygoer um, by the name of Chester left soon after. When Kenny returned home that evening, he was covered in blood and cuts. Oh. And he told Judy that he'd actually gotten a fight at one of the local bars. And murdered someone to get that much blood on you? <laughs> so, when Judy was asked why she didn't report this sooner, she said, I did. And they looked back, but authorities were so focused on Dale being guilty mm-hmm. that they completely discounted Judy's tip. Wow. And nothing like that, because I, like, I do think that Dale molested Annette. Um, yeah. I do believe that 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm not anti-nudist, because I'm sure it sounded like I was clutching my pearls at that, even though I still think it was very gross, because he is not any relation well, it's not, to those girls. It, it's not, um... It's a different kind of, it's not like he's living in a nudist colony. Exactly. Like, it's not that kind of vibe. And it's very much, it makes my skin crawl, which is why I don't have words for it. Because it, mm-hmm. it's just very icky. Yeah, so there's like the post picture, the fact that they're like, oh, we'll just have sex in front of them and they can come in and talk to us while we do that. Just no, 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 no. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, I in a way, like, I get why, but I also, they, like, they should not have discounted that tip. No, they should have looked into it. Mm-hmm. Judy did not know Chester's last name, so investigators were not able to speak with him, but they did speak with Kenny. Kenny admitted, like, yeah, I knew Todd and Annette. But he never said anything about being in the cornfield that night. Mm-hmm. When he was questioned about returning home bloody, he said that he'd actually bro- broken the glass in his screen door when he was trying to get in, and that's how he got cut up and bloody. Oh, so now the story has changed. Yeah. Investigators were convinced that he knew more, and there were times in his interrogation that they felt he was on the verge of uh, confessing, but he never did. Mm-hmm. So at this point, they were kind of at a standstill. Because they believed, like, this is a very viable suspect. Yeah. He he may know something. So they interviewed a couple more people that had apparently been at the party, but nobody knew Chester's last name. Mm-hmm. They just, there's this mysterious guy out there named Chester that Kenny left with. So in 2008, a year later, investigators finally got the break that they needed. Oh, good. A local inmate was confessing to the murders. And the inmate's, inmate's name was Chester McKnight. Wow. So, a preliminary background search of Chester revealed that he was a pretty shitty person. Mm-hmm. He had a long history of arrest for sexual assault and violence, which is what he was currently serving time for. Mm. Mm-hmm. Kenny stated that back in 1982, he was at a really low point in his life. Like, this was the height of his drug and alcohol addiction. He said that on the day of the murder... He and Kenny had been basically partying all day. They Mm -hmm. were drinking, smoking weed all day. And at some point in the afternoon, he said that Todd and Annette had stopped by to purchase weed and informed him that they were going to go down to the cornfield and smoke. Now, I want to point out here that Annette's friends and family were adamant that Annette didn't smoke. Like, in fact, she was so anti-drug that when she was in high school... Annette and one of her friends would turn in kids that they knew were smoking. Uh-huh. Todd's mom said she knew Todd experimented with weed, but overall, he was a pretty straight-laced kid. Like, he was kind of known to be, like, a square by everybody. hmm And 
please be, be clear. Like, clear. I'm. I don't care if they were smoking or not. Exactly. I don't care if anybody smokes weed. Like, do whatever you want. Yeah. Like that's. Please, by all means, do mm-hmm. it. Agreed. Um. But I'm pointing it out here because there was a difference in opinion about the statement that Chester made about Todd and Annette mm-hmm. buying weed. So anyway, they leave. Chester thought Annette was really beautiful and he wanted to have sex with her. Oh, no. So he and Kenny left the party a short time later and snuck up on Annette and Todd when they were in the field. Which is terrifying enough because I think cornfields are creepy just mm-hmm. on their own. Yep. Chester made sexual advances towards Annette, and Todd intervened trying to fight Chester off of her. Mm-hmm. So at this point, Chester grabbed the gun that Kenny always carried with him and shot Todd in front of Annette. He then turned the gun on Annette. Chester stated that he and Kenny then went back to Kenny's house, got the machete, and returned to the cornfield where they dismembered Todd and Annette's bodies. Like, essentially, Chester murdered them because he wanted to have sex with Annette. She said no, and Todd was trying to protect her. Wow. It's absolutely horrifying and disgusting. It's so tragic. Like, the fragile male ego of Chester McKnight. Like. That's ridiculous. That's why they, that's why they died. Because Annette said no. Mm-hmm. And just, and he did not get what he wanted. Mm-hmm. What? An arrogant, awful yeah. person. Yeah. In September 2008, Kenny Scott and Chester McKnight were arrested for the murders of Todd and Annette. They went to trial just three months later in December. Chester took full responsibility of the murders, admitting that he was the person that shot both Todd and Annette. Mm-hmm. Chester was found guilty of the murders and sentenced to life with no chance of parole for at least 20 years. Kenny Linscott was allowed to take a plea deal and the charges of aggravated murder were dropped. He was found guilty of abuse of a corpse, sentenced to time served, and was released. Kidding. Mm -mm. He'd spent the last 26 years knowing what happened to Todd and Annette and who did it. He sat back and let Dale Johnston spend seven years on death row Mm -hmm. and then be known as a murderer in the years that followed. Yeah. Like, he never said anything to anybody, and he essentially only served three months in jail. Mm Mm-hmm. He died in 2013. In 2015, Dale Johnston was officially declared innocent by a court of appeals And he was awarded close to $800,000 in 2020 by the state of Ohio for his wrongful conviction. Oh, wow. Chester McKnight will be up for parole in 2037 when he's 79 years old. Todd and Annette's family had suffered for years, Mm -hmm. believing that the person that was guilty of the murders had been set free. Yeah. And then they had to relive the murders when Chester finally confessed and they found out what happened and why it happened. Mm-hmm. And for Todd's family, they'd held like so much hate and rage for Dale for 26 years. Yes. And like, I'm not saying Dale was a great person. Like, no, I don't believe I don't that, think he, that was, he was, but he was not a murderer. He was not, he did not kill Todd and Annette. Mm-hmm. And the person that did was out here sexually abusing other people. Like, Kenny and Todd both had spent time in jail 
after Todd and Annette's murders. Yes. Now, there was no evidence that, like, showed that they had murdered anybody else. Mm-hmm. Clearly, they were violent individuals. And it's really weird that it, this would be Chester's first murder uh-huh. and the only murder, and it would be dismemberment. Like, yes. that's, I thought that was very odd because typically there's, like, escalation. Mm-hmm. And, yes, evolving from sexual abuse to sexual violence to murder, that's an escalation. But then just to stop after that, I was like, that's very weird. It is. It's very weird. And I was also going to ask, I don't know if there was any information about it, but you talked about how the cut's been so clean, so they thought it might have been, like, a surgeon or a butcher. See, and I don't know if that was just police... Like, adding to the hysteria. Okay. Because that does happen. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know if that was that or if it was truly clean. Mm-hmm. If it was, Chester McNaught seemed to be pretty much a low life that yeah. didn't really have a job. So, I don't know where he would have learned those skills. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, when I read that, I'm thinking that it was probably police, mm-hmm. be intentional or unintentional, adding to the hysteria. Uh-huh. But it's tragic that Todd and Annette had their lives taken so young. Yeah. Because Chester McNutt is a literal piece of shit Mm -hmm. and didn't think that Annette had the right to deny him what he wanted. What a piece of trash. Yeah. Garbage. And he's up for parole. That doesn't, he should not ever be up for parole. No, it will be, he'll be 79. It's true. I know he's really old, but at the same time, I don't think he doesn't deserve it. No. Absolutely not. And I read an interview with him, and it's like, oh, he was basically saying he's really sorry. He's trying to make amends for oh, all whatever. the bad stuff that he did. He said that he counsels kids that come in there. He's like, I see these oh. young guys coming in here, 20, 21, making all these mistakes, and I want my life to be an example example for them of what they don't want to do. And I'm like, you don't have to tell somebody not to murder and mm-hmm. dismember two people. Because you're a piece of trash and, like, a sexually violent person. Yeah. That's, he should not be, throw him in solitary. Just, no, you dismembered them. Oh. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm, nothing, murder is never justifiable. But it's so insane Mm -hmm. that he went there because Todd was trying to protect Annette. Like, it, he didn't just, like, leave their bodies after shot. I mean, I say just leave, like. It's still absolutely horrific. Mm-hmm. But he didn't, like, he went that extra step mm-hmm. to dismember them. And yeah. that, like, and not only that, like, mutilate Todd's body, bury them. Like, it's just absolute, like, shocking. Yeah, that in monster the worst needs to be locked in a room and the key thrown away. Yeah, I'm, I, don't, I don't know how you, like, that's your first thought. Like, mm-hmm. So, so scary. And, like, again, I always think about, like, the victim and what their last moments were like. And for Todd, he's trying to do what's right. Yeah. And then Annette sees Todd get shot in front of her. Mm-hmm. And then knows, like, it what's going to happen to her. Like, I cannot imagine the fear that they must have felt. Yeah. Because they were so happy together. They, you know... When you're young, or even when you're older, and you have a an argument with your partner, like, it's, when you make up, like, it, it's, you know, it feels good. Like, you're it like, does. okay, we talked about it, we've got things worked out, we mm-hmm. know what we're doing now, 
And then they're just going to the field to relax, hang out, spend some time together. And then someone creeps up on them. And like, it's the entire, the entirety of that is so bone chilling. Yeah, it's so sad. I just, oh. Like you said, their last moments, it was, it, they were terrified, I'm sure. Yeah. And they had their entire lives ahead of them. Mm-hmm. Like, and they were excited about They had just put down that $5 on that table, like yeah. their first piece of furniture together. And you know, that's exciting. Yeah. It's so exciting. And no. Oh. Mm. But I'm glad that Chester is in jail. Yes. Kenny died. Mm-hmm. What did he die of? Do we know? Uh, I have no idea. Because he... Would still be with that. Is he still kind of young, or was he older? Kenny was a a couple years older. He was like in his twenties when Todd and Annette were murdered, so he was probably in his forties or fifties when he died. Okay, so that is still very young to die. So it I'm is. assuming it's probably alcohol, mm-hmm. drug related. He yeah. was in a hospital, but I don't know his exact cause of death. Okay, he wasn't a great person, so it really doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't really care that much. I was just curious. Yeah. So. But that is the murder of Todd Schultz and Annette Cooper. Oh. And if you research this case, if you look it up, she is referred to frequently in newspaper articles from that time as Annette Johnston. Mm-hmm. So if you type in Annette Cooper to search, you're not going to find anything. You may find a few, but not a lot. And that's also really sad. Yeah. that's not her name. Yeah. And again, like the one article I read with her dad where he was interviewed, it doesn't really sound like not being a part of her life was something that he wanted. Mm-hmm. But again, I don't know the exact dynamic, so I can't say. Yeah. Just, wow. God, I think that's one of the more brutal ones we've covered. It was very brutal. Mm-hmm. It's very uh, nightmarish. Like Yeah. I, like, people are the true monsters. People mm-hmm. are the true monsters. Like, this shit, like, when you see stuff like this in movies, like, you know someone... Like, it's happened in real life on some level, like, and it's so sad and so scary that people experience this. Mm-hmm. And he's up for parole. That really Well, it's me off. It 2037 is when he's up for parole. True. I just don't think he should ever be, and, you know, he may not live that long because it is an old age, and I'm sure he was not taking care of himself. Um, no, yeah, he probably will not make it to 79. And if so. he doesn't, then rot in jail. <laughs> yeah. Rot in yeah. prison, wherever you are. Yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I told you this one was like. Mm-hmm. Brutal. I don't know if I fully expressed how brutal it was No, to I was thinking, like, more dark, but, which, I mean, it my is. Apologies. But, no, that's okay. That's, it's just, it blows my mind. It really does. Yeah. And just, you know, these are not unordinary people. Like, these are very mundane, you know, John Doe's committing these brutal crimes. Mm-hmm. But, all right, thank you guys for listening and sticking by <laughs> with us through yes. this one. It, when If you hear pauses, I know we'll cut some of them out. But it's because it's just, like, so shocking. Mm-hmm. Yes. Goodness. It's, I'm glad we covered it, but at the same time, I just can't imagine doing the research on that. It was not fun. No. But, yeah. So, I guess I'll give our socials. Yep. If you guys want to reach out to us, we're on Instagram at monstersandmurderpod. And you can Gmail us at monstersandmurderpod at gmail.com. Yeah. You got it right. Yay! <laughs> we're going to keep a tally. <laughs> yes and if anyone already is let us know <laughs> yeah <laughs> because it's very few points where i've actually said it correct <laughs> it's gonna be wild before you get five gold star shame <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> so until next time stay safe everyone
Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.